Understanding CBD, brought to you by Max and Stevens Premium Hemp Extracts. Baltimore is listening. This is Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Time now for Understanding CBD, brought to you by Max and Stevens Premium Hemp Extracts. Here's Max and Steven. Thank you for tuning in to Understanding CBD. Hello there, Max Sobel. Good Sunday, Stephen Wallman. Yes, we're live here in the studio this Sunday, as we are every Sunday. Today's May 23rd. Um, The phone lines are open. Uh, The number here is 410-922-6680. Our engineer, Noah the Engineer. Noah the Engineer is in the the studio. You like that, Noah? Uh, He's in the phone booth uh, waiting for your call. You can call... um, for anything, really, if you have a question for us about CBD, if you want to get on the radio, you have a comment for one of our guests, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, so that's what we got for the number again is 410-922-6680, and we're live, so that's important. Max, tell us about your song selection today. I think it's real applicable. Uh, originally recorded in 1970 by, 1970, excuse me, by Joni Mitchell and done redone very tastefully by the Counting Crows in 93. So it's all about, you know, appreciating what you have before it's gone. Listen to that whole song. Yeah, and we'll have, um, so I think it's relevant to some of the topics we're talking about uh, later today. Coming up on this week's episode of Understanding CBD, we will have Doc G's Corner. That's Dr. Benjamin Gonzalez from Atlantis Medical Wellness Center in Silver Spring, Maryland. He yeah, will be here. A true hero, brave doctor, military veteran, not afraid to speak about the benefits of the cannabis plant. We always look forward to hearing from him. Our own Top Gun will be here. That's right. Mail Sack is back this week. The sack is back. <laughs> That's right. We'll be digging into our mail sack, uh, and we'll be pulling out uh, a story that uh, one of you lucky listeners submitted to us. Hmm. That's right. Uh, we also have a new segment for you this week. It's called Wellness Tip in 30 Seconds. Incredibly original name there. <laughs> you like that, Max? It's, yeah, it's original. Wellness Tip. Yeah, well, if you miss any of the show for any reason, you can catch the replay online, right? Max, how do they do that? That's right. Hop on over to understandingcbd.com. Every single one of our uh, past episodes is available there. Also, uh, depending on how you listen to podcasts, whatever service you use, you can also search for Understanding CBD with Max and Stevens, and we're on all the podcast services. You can find us everywhere. That's right. Uh, Before Max introduces our special guest today, we want to mention that the Understanding CBD is brought to you by Max and Stevens Premium Hemp Extracts. You can go to www.maxandstevens.com or call 443-743-2444. They or we will always take care of you in the best way we know how, and we appreciate that. 
That's right. You can always text that number, by the way. Don't take anything said on this program as professional medical or legal advice, please. We're here to entertain you, and that's what this is about. So I'd like to move into welcoming our special guest today, Dr. Alan Williams. So let me give you a little bit of background. Dr. Williams is a sixth-generation family farmer and founding partner of Grass-Fed Insights, as well as Understanding Ag, that's short for agriculture, and the Soil Health Academy. He's consulted with more than 4,000 farmers and ranchers across the United States, Canada, Mexico, South America, and other countries on operations ranging from a few acres to over a million acres. Um, Alan pioneered many of the early regenerative grazing protocols and forage finishing techniques and now teaches those practices and principles to farmers globally. He's a quote-unquote recovering academic, nice, having served 15 years on the faculty of Louisiana Tech University and Mississippi State University. He holds a BS and an MS in animal science from Clemson University and a PhD in livestock genetics from LSU. He's authored more than 400 scientific and popular press articles. He's an an invited speaker at regional, national, and international conferences and symposia. Wow. Uh, Talk about an intro. Dr. Williams, welcome to Understanding CBD. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you. I've been really looking forward to this, uh, this interview today, Dr. Williams. And uh, I was, you know, one of the things when I, one of the first videos I saw of you, you were standing on one of your farmer's lands, and I think it was a new class you were talking to, and you described how the land that they were standing on used to be roaming with teams of bison, different species of bison. There were a biodiversity of plants in that area, and while they're standing on that land, you also mentioned that it used to be 10 inches higher from uh, from you know from I guess a lot of things that we're going to talk about today, but um, you know just to to kick us off and get started, what happened? Where did we go wrong? Right? I mean, uh, you know, the Bible says, "Take care of your land for six days; the seventh day, let it rest." Um, mm-hmm. What happened to the soil? Well, that that's a very good question, and uh, the fact of the matter is, is that we've we've washed most of it into our gulfs, bays, oceans, rivers, streams, you name it, uh, due to just poor agricultural practices over now here in North America, spanning almost 500 years from from the time the Spaniards came in in the early 1500s to to now, we have sort of had a history of of doing this, uh, of implementing some very poor practices, both from tillage practices and grazing practices. And, you know, if we keep in mind uh, the 1930s Dust Bowl, uh, we, we created that. So, uh, and, and we're really headed back in the same direction again with some of the things that we're implementing on the ground. So, Dr. Williams, uh, keeping that in mind and how low quality the soil is, how does that actually impact our food? Hugely. Uh, it, it is... Actually, it, it's almost a travesty what we're looking at today relative to the nutrient density and quality of our food because we are literally farming subsoil in so many areas across North America now. And on top of that, we're combining that with uh, extensive tillage practices and over-application of synthetics and chemicals and other things. Uh, it most of the foods that we consume today have 
significantly lower nutritive value than they had 50 years ago, 100 years ago, and beyond, to the point that, just as an example, if, if I want to eat blueberries, for instance, uh, today I would need to eat anywhere from six to ten times the amount of blueberries to get the same amount of nutrition that I would have just 50-plus years ago. Wow. Wow, that that is pretty tough. Um, how do you then analyze the soil? Is there a definition for healthy soil? It First of all, I'll start with, you know it when you see it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it. what we do is we use a suite of tests. Uh, one is what we call the Haney test, H-A-N-E-Y. The other is uh, a PLFA. That stands for phospholipid fatty acid test. And the third is what we call a TNE, or total nutrient extraction. When we use those three tests in combination, it allows us to be able to test the three primary characteristics of the soil, physical, chemical, and biological. Our problem is is that over the last eight decades, we've sort of acted as this chemistry drives everything in the soil, and that is the be-all, end-all uh, when actually it, it is totally the opposite. Biology drives chemistry and is the determiner of whether we're going to build soil health or not. So we have sort of abandoned the biological component of this, and that's the component that we now are paying a lot more attention to. And one of the things that we know is that as we significantly improve the biology of the soil, we can physically see this on our farms through this incredible burst of biodiversity from plant species to beneficial insects, birds, you name it. Yeah, so speaking of the farm, and we have a soft spot for the farmers, of course, so how about the farmer? You know, um, what's the current quality of life for our farmers and growers of food? Unfortunately, over the last several decades, it's been steadily declining. The ability to be able to make a living off of farming and, and what they produce has uh, been reduced dramatically. This has increased the rates of depression and, and even the rates of suicide. We Suicide among farmers now actually ranks in the top five of all professions for suicide rates, and not just here in the U.S., but globally, uh, we're seeing record numbers of bankruptcies being filed every year in North America, particularly in the U.S., even for the last five years in a row. So uh, the, uh, you know, the, the economic and financial parameters of farming have declined dramatically, and it has certainly impacted the quality of life of the farmer. And with regenerative agriculture, that's one of the things that we see absolutely reversing. Quality of life goes way up. Profitability increases significantly. And just the overall tenor and quality of of what these farmers are doing increases every day. Yeah. Well, we're going to take a break in a minute. But before we do, I wanted to ask you, um, you know, this is the this isn't new. This has been happening for decades. Um, pandemic hits. Um, and what sort of happened to the food supply there? What did we learn? We learned that a highly aggregated concentrated food supply is actually a pretty big detriment and a threat to our country. 
and that these supply lines and even the ability of, of these processing plants to process our food, handle our food, get it out, get it distributed out to restaurants, grocery stores, et cetera, uh, is, is a threat and that we need to change the way that we're doing things here in the U.S. relative to that food supply and the safety and ability to disseminate that food supply to our population. What did that do to the health of the farmers and their businesses? Well, it, it was twofold. If you were a conventional or commodity farmer, there were significant issues, uh, especially if you were a livestock farmer. Uh, they were just absolutely hammered. Prices dropped like a rock for their commodity products, mm-hmm. beef, pork, chicken, milk, you name it. Uh, but if you were a regenerative farmer, we actually saw the exact opposite occurring. Demand for their food product increased dramatically because they were the groups of people, including us, we're far- regenerative farmers ourselves. Uh, those of us that were doing this and the branded food food programs in regenerative farming were able to quickly uh, assemble the food that was needed, aggregate it, get it out to the population. So we didn't have the constraints that the big commodity food sector had. Well, that's good to hear. Stay tuned. We're going to come back with some solutions Dr. Allen Williams has for us. Stay with us. Thank you. Put up a fucking line. more of Understanding CBD with Max and Stephen on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. We didn't know the times were lean. Around our house the grass was green. It didn't seem like things were all that bad. I bet we walked a thousand miles, chopping cotton and pushing plows, and learning how to give it all we had. As life went on and years went by, Saw the light in daddy's eyes And felt the love in mama's hands They kept us warm and kept us fed Taught us how to look ahead Now looking back I understand We were walking in high cotton Old times there are not forgotten Those fertile fields are never far away Welcome back into Understanding CBD. Hello there, Max Sobel. Welcome back, Stephen Wallman. Thank you, thank you. We're talking with Dr. Alan Williams, a champion of the grass-fed beef industry, expert in grazing methodologies and regenerative agriculture, um, sharing some ground truth with us on uh, turning this uh, farming and and soil and environment around here. Uh, the song is Alabama, High Cotton. Uh, you have a history with those boys, don't you, uh, Dr. Allen? Yeah, actually, I do. Uh, go back more than 25 years with them, uh, and particularly with uh, Teddy Gentry. And uh, Teddy and I have worked together, golly, for <laughs> quite a while uh, in regenerative agriculture. And we, Teddy actually developed a breed of cattle uh, specifically for 
grass-fed beef production in the Deep South called the South Pole and, uh, and was truly instrumental in, in pushing regenerative agriculture forward in the early years of this, these whole efforts. And you, you said the magic words, regenerative, regenerative agriculture. It's a bit of a tongue twister for me. I apologize. But let's dig into that. Would you mind telling us what that is? Yeah, regenerative agriculture is really farming and ranching in synchrony with nature in a way that revitalizes, restores, rebuilds, and regenerates the, uh, the ecosystems and the, uh, the, just the whole environment around us. Um, and we use what we call the 643, the six principles of soil health the four ecosystem processes and the three rules of adaptive stewardship to be able to effectively get this done. And that that's basically what we teach everybody that we work with, whether they attend our soil health academies or whether we work with them one-on-one as farmers and ranchers through Understanding Ag. Gotcha. So to give some people the context, um, about 40% of all U.S. land is farmland. Uh, there are over um, 900 million acres spread around 2 million farms um, throughout the country. And, and I don't know if you know this, um, but is there a stat? What percentage of farmers are using regenerative practices on their, on their farm? Well, that, that's a very good question. Currently, it, it's uh, a little less than 5%. Uh, but it is growing very, very rapidly. You know, uh, 10 years ago, it was less than a tenth of a percent. Uh, so now we're already up to over 5%. And, and, and again, we're, we're continuing to grow quite rapidly in that regard. Uh, just within understanding ag, we're currently working across about 22 million acres in the U.S. that are somewhere along the regenerative journey. And we're getting consistently calls from many other countries all over the world wanting to do the same thing. So it's not just a North American interest, but it, but it is definitely a growing global interest. And with those farmers, at what rate are they switching over to regenerative farming? And um, at what point does it become profitable, I guess is a good question, too, because I'm sure they're wondering. Yeah, you know, one of the biggest fears by most farmers and probably one of the biggest barriers, no doubt, is they feel like this is going to be an economic drain on them for maybe the first two, three or four years. And and so they're because of the debt load that many farmers currently carry, they're they're quite fearful of that. But actually, it's it's the opposite. Uh, transitioning to regenerative ag does not mean that in the first one, two, or three years you're going to lose money. Not at all. Uh, as a matter of fact, the majority of the farmers that we work with that make this transition actually end up making more net revenue even in year one and certainly by year two and year three. Uh, so we work very hard initially to you know, be able to dissolve those fears. And, and one of the other biggest barriers is just simply peer pressure. Uh, other farmers and ranchers, neighbors, family, everybody that sells them something, you know, they, they get a lot of peer pressure put on them not to change what they're doing. So they have to overcome both that economic fear and then the, the fear of the peer pressure 
but once we get beyond those two barriers, uh, they can make very, very rapid progress. Yeah, that's that's good to hear. And, you know, Alan, you were um, a sixth-generation farmer, um, very well educated. Did you learn regenerative agriculture in school? No. <laughs> really? Quite. Quite the opposite. Uh, we learned conventional agriculture, and we learned it very well. Uh, and when I was in academia, when I was a, a researcher and a professor, that's what I taught. I taught very conventional agriculture, um, and it actually took me a while to really realize what was going on, what was happening there, and the changes that we needed to make. And one of the key components of of that change in my thought process was that I kept going back to how things were when I was growing up on the farm. I grew up very luckily on a highly diversified farm in South Carolina. 80 plus percent of what we ate when I was growing up, we, we produced on the farm. So I enjoyed this incredible food experience. And I, I, I had to go back once I got into commodity agriculture and asked myself, okay, when I was growing up, how come we didn't have to use all of these chemicals, all of these synthetics, all of these pharmaceuticals, and our animals and our crops did quite well? You know, my family was able to buy and pay for land for more than six generations, and yet all of a sudden now we absolutely rely on all of these things. So that was a seminal moment for me coming to that realization and having to think back through that process. So I call it uh, coming full circle. You know, I, I basically had to go back to my roots to understand what we really needed to do. Yeah, and I guess that's the, the holy grail is to have farmers and, and food producers really have that epiphany, um, which leads me to my next question, which do, do you run into skeptics? Are there people that are opposed to this or weary of it? Oh, yes. <laughs> there, there are absolutely skeptics, uh, and, and the, the number of skeptics are, are growing simply because the impact of regenerative agriculture is growing, and that was to be expected. Uh, you know, we're seeing uh, many of the major agribusiness corporations that are, that are pushing back pretty hard because they view this as a threat uh, to ability to be able to sell their products and and so no doubt we're, we're going to continue to face some, some heavy pressure, but, uh, but the results are such that we're going to continue to push through that because we have the direct evidence on the ground. And what we tell any skeptic is that, first of all, we have the case studies and the data to substantiate what we're teaching and what we're promoting. But then secondly, come visit our farms. If you don't believe us, you know, seeing is believing. We're open. We, we invite anybody to come visit us and take a tour of our farms. Well, that's interesting, and, and I think I you know, urge everyone to do, and we'll get your contact information uh, later. If people are just tuning in, we're here with uh, Dr. Ian Williams from Understanding Ag, talking about regenerative agriculture. Um, what's the uh, role that universities are playing now? Because I know, especially in the hemp industry that we're in, a lot of the programs for our hemp farmers uh, are tied in with universities. What's their role in this regenerative um, revolution? Is that right? It's mixed. Um, you know, having been there and lived that life, 
we're no different than anybody else. Uh, we're subject to the same biases and everything else that any farmer, any rancher, any consumer is. Uh, and so what, what I do know is this, is that many researchers at our universities are still stuck in the same old, same old. They're still stuck in, in the commodity sector and still doing most of their research and efforts in that area. However, we do have faculty members at different universities that are starting to transition what they're doing in their research and their teaching into regenerative principles and practices. So we are working with some of those, but, but make no mistake about it, it's still a long road ahead for most of our universities to really move forward substantially in this direction. And uh, we're going to rely on the academic pioneers to continue to push their fellow colleagues forward. Gotcha. Now, I'd imagine if you're a farmer and you're feeling these pressures, you're feeling the pressure from the insurance companies, the, um, the, the inputs that you're having, whether it's herbicides, pesticides, the seed companies, I'd imagine we don't need to tell you this. This is not new for you. Um, a lot of people, Alan, are probably hearing this message and say, I'm looking for a way out. Mm-hmm. Um, how do they get started with, with your program? What's the first step that, that they can take? The very first step is just simply to contact us. Uh, and, you know, we offer a host of educational opportunities from our online curriculum. Uh, last December, we released what we call Regen Ag 101, that is a nine module online curriculum with an incredible array of augmented material associated with it. We also have in person, uh, week long, intensive uh, academies that are conducted on host farms that are actually doing regenerative ag. So it's sort of a learning as you're doing type of deal. And then of course we offer follow-up consultation uh, so that once they gain some of that initial education that they're going to need, then we provide the boots on the ground follow-up that they're gonna need to continue to work through challenges and issues that they face. All right. So then what about on the consumer side of the equation? What do consumers need to know? And I know that you worked for the USDA, so I know you have some opinions about the food pyramid that we've been told for years, right? It's backwards. Flip it upside down and then you got it right, to be quite honest. Uh, and and that, that was one thing that I had to change my thinking on as well. But the uh, all of the more recent research just really corroborates that, that, that we've had this food pyramid absolutely upside down. We, we absolutely need good proteins. We need good fats. Uh, they're vital to the health and functioning of our body and to our own longevity. Uh, so, you know, that's, that, that's one of the things that, that we've got to continue to, to work on and to help the consumer understand. But we, Within Understanding Ag and in the Soil Health Academy, we also offer an array of learning materials, educational materials for the consumer. We have a host of articles and webinars and case studies and so forth that are available for anybody to take advantage of free of charge. And, and so we would urge, you know, not just farmers and ranchers, but consumers as well to log on to our website so that they can learn a lot more about regenerative ag and healthy food. Yeah, it's a good resource. You're going to have to take it up now. Um, 
most grocery stores, at least local, we're in Maryland, about 10% of the products they have are organic. The rest of the stuff is, you know, just mixed. Um, when I, you know, a lot of our customers also, we're dealing with um, aches and pains, anxiety, a lot of arthritis and, and issues that diet can, can help. But when I talk to someone about buying organic food, they say, it's so expensive. What do you say to them, Alan? Well, the first thing that I would say is that um, food is also our medicine. It, it, it's our nutrition, it's our medicine, it's our enjoyment, and it's often the reason for families gathering together and, and friends gathering together and enjoying a good time. Uh, but medical care, pharmaceutical prescriptions, all of those types of things are incredibly expensive. And if we can spend just a little bit more on good food, then we'll spend a lot less on all of these other things that are that are taking away a lot of our expendable income. The other thing that we have found is that if you eat healthier foods, truly nutrient-dense food, then you actually don't need to eat near as much. And obviously, that helps us to start to alleviate the significant obesity issue that we have across this country as well that and we know that obesity leads to inflammation and inflammation leads to a whole host of health problems yeah don't we know now we barely scratch the surface um alan but we did cover a lot in the time allotted uh if you can imagine the time's up now um but we do appreciate you how can people connect with you and your organization Yes, they can go to understandingag.com and find us there. And they can also go to soilhealthacademy.org. We urge you all to follow up with there. Um, Dr. Alan Williams, we can't thank you enough for joining us today. Thank you again. Um, We'll talk to you soon. We'll be right back with Doc G's Corner, folks. Stay with us. Appreciate you joining us. And learning how to give it all we have. As life went on and years went by, I saw the light in Daddy's eyes. And now more of Understanding CBD with Max and Stephen on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Welcome back, everyone, to Understanding CBD. Hello, Max Sobel. Hello, Stephen Wallman. It's now time for our own Top Gun. You know that music, Doc G's Corner. Real name is Dr. Benjamin Gonzalez, medical director at Atlantis Medical Wellness Center in Silver Spring. Can't, hear, can't wait to hear what you have for us this week, Doc. Gentlemen, thank you guys for having me. I am Dr. Ben Gonzalez, and this is Dr. G's Corner. Everywhere you turn, you see food ads, ads for fast food delivery, uh, uh, marketing for highly palatable foods. On every corner, there's some sort of fast food source. Heck, growing up, when I went to the gas station, I got, well, gas for my car. Now you go to the gas station, you see pizza, hot dogs, pretzels, cakes, candies. Basically, you get gas both ways. Sorry, gentlemen. (laughs) Um, Eating in the past was about getting basic energy for the day. A snack was a treat. Now, snacking is simply a way of life. When I started medical school, not a single state in this country had an obesity rate greater than 15%. Now, over 40% of the entire country is obese, and nearly 75% is overweight. Many of my patients want to blame it on their genes, but I must say, 
uh, we as humans, Homo sapiens, have been on this planet for over 200,000 years. We did not mutate into an obese species in the last one to two generations. Our brains are wired. Since we've been on the planet to maximize the calories we ingest, this is a survival mechanism. But over the last few generations, we've become less active and we eat more. It only takes an average of 200 more calories a day to gain about five to seven pounds a year. And I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but do the math. That equates to, to an average of 60 pounds in 10 years. That's only 200 calories a day. And that is, that's one small candy bar, not, not the large supersized ones you see at the gas stations. Most people do not realize how many calories they take in in a day. And there are good studies that confirm people underestimating how much they eat and overestimating how many fruits and vegetables they eat in a day. As I said earlier, your brain is wired to maximize eating. There are appetite centers located in the, in the arcuate nucleus and the hypothalamus and the middle of your brain that, that control appetite. These brain appetite centers can be overstimulated. It turns out these same centers regulate opioid, amphetamine, and cocaine. In fact, those are the names of those appetite centers, pro-opio-melanocortin centers and cocaine and amphetamine-related transcripts or CART centers. Now, I know that's getting a bit geeky on you, but it helps you understand food craving and food addiction behaviors. When I opened up my medical um, metabolism and weight loss center 16 years ago, across the street was a forest of trees. Now, when you walk out of the building, this is what you see from left to right. A Chick-fil-A, a Panera, a TGIF, a IHOP, a bad Mexican fast food place, a sub shop, a 7-Eleven, and a Chinese fast food takeout place right in front of my weight loss center. And with the increase in marketing and the ease of sourcing highly palatable foods, you get a better understanding of why people have difficulty with eating and diets. Your body in particular, your brain and your gut have CBE receptors that respond to CBD. In a healthy young person, these CB receptors are especially dense in the brain and in the gut. And as we age, as we get used to a poor diet of highly palatable foods, these receptors decline in function. Those addictive pathways in the brain I spoke about earlier become ingrained and turn into true addictions, into difficult-to-control food cravings. Many diet pills target these food appetite centers and the brain centers. Unfortunately, many of these diet pills have side effects. Remember FenFen? It turns out a high-quality, full-spectrum CBD targets these CB receptors in the brain and in the gut to help calm down these powerful food cravings. CBD can help you better or make better choices in food types and timing. Late night eating, midday snacks can all be helped with a few drops of an unsweetened CBD under the tongue. I emphasize unsweetened because if it is sweetened with true or artificial sweeteners, that triggers those appetite brain centers and negates the CBD response. Seek the advice of a knowledgeable doctor who understands metabolism and the natural CBD network in your body. CBD can help you get into a better place. So for more information about medical use of CBD oil, massage uh, oil, message me directly on Instagram at bengonzalez underscore MD. That's B-E-N-G-O-N-Z-A-L-E-Z underscore MD. You can also call the clinic to set up a telephone consultation with me at 301-622-2722. That's 301-622-2722. Two seven two two, and say you heard me on this show. 
Well, guys, CBD is a powerful tool, tool that I use in my weight loss center, and I hope I uh, hope that helps. Always. That is great. For some reason, I want to go get a massage now. Yeah, some, something tells me I want <laughs> a massage. That. Hmm. Interesting. Doc G. We'll be right back with Thanks. your favorite segment, Mail Sack, right after these words. Thanks, Doc. Understanding CBD with Max and Stephen on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Welcome back, everybody, to Understanding CBD. Welcome back, Stephen Wallman. Hello, Max Sobel. Going to give that phone number out just one last time in case you want to call in. 410-922-6680. And we'll take your call live if we have time. Um, Interesting little final segment here. We're trying to do something new as we build our bridge between people and cannabis. And we've got something called a wellness tip. So, Stephen Let us know what your wellness tip is, please. Thank you, Max. This is our wellness tip in 30 seconds or less. This wellness tip from this week is do one thing at a time. Studies show multitasking is a myth. People may have multiple browser windows open with four other apps running on their computer while texting a coworker on their phone, thinking that they're splitting their attention in multiple places simultaneously, but they're wrong. When, you, when you're doing something, dedicate your full attention to a single task at a time. You'll be less stressed and outperform the so-called multitaskers. Stay in the moment. Keep your mind and body together. Wonderful. What do you think of that? I love it. Just the tip for Just those listening. Tip. I love it. <laughs> and now, let's rustle into our mail sack. You want to give me a little bit of a... Uh... Let's see who's going to be the lucky mail sack this week. Noah, you want to play our mail sack mail music? Mail sack! You've got mail. You know, the really cool thing about this show is how real-time and applicable this information is because the mail sack that we have today actually came into our email last night. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a great mail sack and it was a great question. And, of course, we always have other questions that we can ask that we get throughout the week. But this one was really applicable. So I'm going to uh, I'm gonna read the question and then I'm going to have Stephen answer the way that he answered so eloquently. So this is from a couple, Paul and Paula, and they wrote, Hi, we have a question about your CBD drops. We've been giving our Belgium Shepherd CBD oil meant for humans to try to calm him. He's been experiencing seizures. We came across your product and we're wondering what the concentration of hemp oil was. The packaging did not say. So I'd like to say I'm sorry that your dog is experiencing seizures. And Stephen, what what advice do we have yeah, for Yeah, a few things. Um, the, the question is the concentration of hemp oil. And the answer to that question specifically is zero. We don't have any hemp oil in our product. Hemp oil is made from pressing hemp seeds. And it's something that you would use uh, not for cooking, but you would use it for salad dressing, right. per se. Uh, hemp oil is, is good for that. Some people put it in their products, but we don't. We chose to use MCT oil. It's actually not an oil. It's multi 
uh, what is it, uh, MCT, is a medium chain triglyceride, which are very small particles and it helps absorb better both in the skin and under the tongue and delivers the full spectrum CBD better. Um, It is safe for dogs as well. Um, We do have the concentration on the packaging. And if you're actually uh, on the thing, it's 500 milligrams per 10 milliliter bottle. So with doing the math per milliliter, it's 50 milligrams per milliliter. But I will direct you to our website, which is maxandstevens.com forward slash labs, or you can click the COA labs button at the top of the page. Now for every batch that we produce, we send it to a third party to be analyzed to make sure that what we say is in the bottle is in the bottle. And And it's never perfect, you know, getting exactly 500 milligrams um, is virtually impossible, but we have a little range we try to do, and we're transparent with that too. So when you actually get a bottle, take a look there and find out what exactly that milligram is. So a couple points to add to that. So you don't have to be perfect because this is a plant. It's not like a pharmaceutical. So you actually can have a little bit more, a little bit less, and it shouldn't affect you one way or another. Again, I'll remind the audience to go to maxandstevens.com because we do have a handy chart there that's very applicable for pets. And when we're talking about pets, we're talking about a significantly lower dosage than for humans. I mean, we're literally talking about a drop or two if you can get it in their mouths and under their tongue. Um, And again, the lab report makes a huge difference because not all products have a lab report. Not all products take the time to do a lab report. Not all products even have CBD in it, which actually I'll bring up also. So we talked about hemp oil, hemp seed oil. You know, much of the products that are sold on Amazon and eBay where they're illegal to sell um, mention hemp oil, but what they're referring to is the hemp seed oil specifically, which has no CBD in it or really any beneficial cannabinoids at all. So just a couple of takeaways from that. Yes, no cannabinoids in hemp seed oil and those um, uh, hemp hearts that you may put in your smoothie or salad, there are no cannabinoids in that either. Yeah. So. Paul and Paula, we want to really thank you for that question. We actually have uh, Shorty Rossi, the former uh, Star Animal Planet uh, pit boss. He actually uses our drops exclusively for all the the pit bulls and such that he rescues there. Um, He always has great questions when he calls us and talks to us. So um, completely safe for you to use for your pet. Yeah, I hope he's all right with those seizures. That's scary. Yeah, very scary. And I hope that uh, we can somehow help. Um, and I, I can certainly understand where you would be confused in some situations. That's right. We want to thank everyone today. Dr. Alan Williams from Understanding Ag. You are an awesome guest. Doc G, as always, Dr. Benjamin Gonzalez, we thank you very much. We want to thank our uh, Noah, engineer Noah. Noah the, the engineer. Yeah. And let's also thank our sponsors, Max and Stevens Premium Hemp Extracts at maxandstevens.com or 443 443- Seven four three two four four four. Call or text that number. Don't forget, we plant a tree for every bottle sold. God bless you all. Have a wonderful Sunday. We'll see you next week on episode sixty-six. That's right. We have um, a cancer survivor next week. It's going to be something you want to stay tuned for. <laughs>